The U.S. is divided into approximately 400 metropolitan statistical areas, or MSAs. Of those, and so when people say, you know, or they talk about the, the national housing market, the housing market as a whole, you know, I have to kind of grit my teeth and, and cringe and laugh at the same time because there is no such thing as a national housing market. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. Welcome to Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's Guide to U.S. Real Estate, a podcast for international investors and real estate entrepreneurs looking to break into the U.S. market. G'day, g'day, guys, and welcome to another cracking edition of Investing in the U.S., an Aussie's guide to U.S. real estate. In Los Angeles, I'm Reed Goosens. Good as always to have you with us on the show. As you all know, this show is for all international investors who want to invest here in the United States. Whether you're from Australia, England, Europe, Asia, or Africa, wherever you're from, this show provides a platform for everyone to learn from our inspirational guests and get quality, straightforward information to help you start successfully investing in the U.S. I want to thank all the loyal listeners out there who tune in every week. You are actively taking action towards building long-term wealth. Just listening to this show will help you grow as an investor here in the U.S. And if you're new to the show, then thank you for dropping by. I know you'll get a lot of cracking information out of today's show. If you're listening to this show and thinking, I really wish Reed would cover a certain topic, then shoot me an email with any of your suggestions at reed at rsmpropertygroup.com and let me know what topics you'd like me to cover. Enough of me going on. Let's get cracking and into today's show. On today's show, we're chatting with Marco Santarelli, who is in another investor, author, podcast host, and all-round good bloke. G'day, Marco. Welcome to the show. Hi, Reed. Pleasure being on your show. Marco is the founder of Norada Real Estate Investments, a nation wide provider of turnkey cash flow rental properties. Since launching the business in 2004, they have helped hundreds of real estate investors create wealth and cash flow through real estate. He's also the author of The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate Investing and the host of his own podcast show, Passive Real Estate Investing, and you can find that on iTunes. Originally, Marco is from Canada and is another cracking guest who is clearly killing it at the moment and has been doing it for quite some time. But Marco, before we dive into all the nuts and bolts of today's show, can you tell us something that most people might not know about you unrelated to being a successful real estate entrepreneur? Wow, sure, Reed. That's a good question and somewhat broad. Here's a couple of quick things. My wife and and daughter are fortunate enough that they don't have to uh, spend their time in school or at work. And what I mean by that is my wife spends her days at home, you know, as a housewife and taking care of the household. But my daughter is not in what I half jokingly call public indoctrination camps, in other words, <laughs> schools. So we've chosen to homeschool her because for many reasons, but one of the biggest things is the schools today don't provide kids with financial education. That's a huge deal to me because they get academic education, maybe professional education, but you know what's sorely lacking in, in not just the United States, but in most countries, and I'm originally from Canada, is we don't see uh, kids being taught how to balance a checkbook, how to start a business, even a lemonade stand. So, you know, that financial education is very critical. So, uh, you know, that's kind of one nugget. I love to read. 
Um, I taught myself how to program assembly language, which is computer code, at the age of 13, which uh, is pretty unusual. So those are oddball things. Fantastic. Well, that's great stuff. Computer coding uh, when you're 13, that is, uh, you're probably cutting edge, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I was a geek at, <laughs> at the time. <laughs> that's so, fine. That's fine. Yeah. No, I was, it was just fun. You know, the thing is, is, you know, you set a challenge for yourself. If you're really curious about something, maybe it's a passion of yours. It's a talent. Just pursue it. And that's what, unfortunately, a lot of parents and schools prevent kids from doing. You know, they have a passion for this or that, and, they, and they're held back because, no, you have to do sports, or no, you have to go to college, or no, you have to do this or that. Well, maybe, you know, maybe they have a knack for a certain type of, of skill or talent that they can turn that into, you know, a very lucrative and, and enjoyable career or even a business. So, you know, let them free until they're 13. Let them explore the world because, I mean, we, everybody asks, what do you want to do when you grow up? Well, we don't know. I mean, you probably don't know until you're, you know, in your early 20s. Exactly. Or even later in life when you realize that the, the, the rat race isn't for everyone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, but anyway, Marco, with that being said, you know, I want to know a little bit more about your background. You just mentioned you're from Canada and you got to a point where you've started your own real estate business and you know, you're know you now successfully investing here in the United States. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about your background, where you've come from and how you've gotten to this point? I don't know how far back you want me to go, but I was uh, born and raised in Calgary, Canada. So I'm, an, I'm a native Canadian, Canadian by birth. Um, you know, I, I jumped into real estate at the age of 18. I bought my first property as soon as I was able to qualify for financing. So I bought a townhome and renovated it, advertised it, leased it up, managed it myself, and uh, kept it for a number of years. And it was it was done almost completely textbook. So I didn't know what I was doing, but it just felt natural. It's And I didn't read a book or take a course. It's just something I jumped into. And I really enjoyed it. So I got the bug at that age to continue on that path. I got my real estate license, sold real estate for a few years. Didn't like it because I felt like I was essentially a chauffeur bringing people around in the back of the car. But I continued to buy some real estate. My biggest regret at the time, looking back, is that is selling that townhome because I think I bought it for about $40,000. And today it's probably in the $400,000 range and it would have been you know, a really good cash flow property. But jumping forward, 1998, my wife and I decided to move down to the US because we had the uh, opportunity to be involved as the third partner, a founding partner of a, of a dot-com company. And we had raised $9.5 million from uh, venture capitalists up in Northern California. And things were going well until the stock market crashed in March, I believe if that was 2001. It was an unfortunate thing for many, many people. We had a hundred and some employees and then we had to lay them all off because you know, you're just not going to get funding anymore from that point forward. Then I took two years off. I, I really didn't know what I wanted to do. And uh, middle of 2003, I get this email. Uh, I might be digressing a little bit from your question, but this is kind of what led up to where I am today. It, you know, I got this odd email in the middle of 2003 from uh, an author, a famous author named Robert G. Allen, and you probably have heard of him. But for people who haven't heard of him, he's a, a famous author. You can go to Amazon and, and type in his name. You'll see he's authored or co-authored about 20 books. And he's considered one of the godfathers of nothing down real estate, zero down real estate. And, you know, it was interesting. I, he was putting on a seminar that September for free to a large group of people. And I thought, okay, well, I'm just going to go. So I went there and there were about 1,500 people in this room for a two or two and a half day event. And it was riveting. Uh, the person that was speaking there was so engaging that he literally had you 
riveted to your seat and you weren't going to get up even if you had to go to the bathroom because uh, you know the information was just so amazing and powerful. So I, I made the decision at that point in time that I'm going to get back into real estate. It's really what I loved. It's my passion. I, I had some experience with it and I just wanted to make it you know my career at the time. Uh, and really, it was an investment career. I didn't plan to make uh, make it into a, a business like it is today. So come uh, come December and January, I started buying properties at a very rapid pace. In fact, over the course of the next two years, I had accumulated 84 units very rapidly, and and that was you know a pretty sizable portfolio. So people in early 2004 were coming to me saying, hey, Marco, where, you know, where, do, where are you buying your properties? How are you negotiating it? How are you finding them? Can you structure a deal for me like yours, et cetera, et cetera. And th- really, to make a long story short, that's how Norada Real Estate was born. It was because A, I identified a need and B, people were coming to me asking for help. Even after spending $15,000 to $35,000 at these events, credit card in hand, to go to these five or six boot camps that were supposedly teaching them stuff. And yeah, they were learning things, but they still weren't pulling the trigger at the end of the day. Anyway, that's, you know, that's kind of how I, I, I went from uh, you know, buying my first property at the age of 18 to you know, accumulating a, a large portfolio and then launching Norada Real Estate. Fantastic. This is a incredible incredible journey. I loved what you just said about how you know, a lot of people spend a lot of money on going to boot camps, but they don't still don't pull, pull the trigger and uh, I know I found myself in that situation uh, a few years back and I just said this is good. you got to pull the trigger at some stage and it's incredible that you had amassed such a quite a large portfolio and did you do that all with your own money or did you use other people's money at the, to help you get to 80 was it 84 units? Uh, it was, uh, yeah, 80, my high watermark was 84 units. Um, I, you know, I had since sold properties because of the, uh, 2006, 2007 downturn in the, uh, in the market. But yes, it was predominantly my money. I say predominantly because it was virtually all, but I was, I was actually borrowing from my, my business at the time as well. Uh, but I was also able to structure some of my acquisitions as, as low down and no down. I, I think I purchased three or four properties, if not more, I don't even remember anymore, with nothing down. In fact, in some cases, I was actually getting cash back at close. Wow, that's incredible. And this was all through learning how to purchase these real estate investments with no money or limited money down? Yeah, exactly. And And it was a little easier to do back then because credit was not quite as easy to get as today. You know, we had those Nina loans, no income, no asset, and then eventually Ninja loans, no income, no asset, no job, (laughs) you know? Yep, and that's what caused the uh, 2008 crash because no one had any skin in the game and they could just walk away from the property if it went south. Yeah, very interesting stuff. But I would like to get into today's topic, which is all about how to choose the right market when investing in the US. And I know, Marco, your business is, you know, providing turnkey properties to investors. So, do you want to walk us through just some of the markets you're involved in right now here in the United States and sort of why you choose to invest in those markets? Yeah, sure, Reed. Um, now, do you mean me personally or or as a whole, as a business? As a business, you know, you've cut your teeth on you, – and you can go from where you started your portfolio out and why, where you'd chosen back at the time, but more on what Norada Real Estate is involved in right now, where you're buying, why you're buying there, and just sort of an overall picture of, of how the process works when choosing a market. Sure. Okay. So that's a very good question because I could, I could actually answer it three different ways. So I'll give you kind of a, a really good highlight and, and just cover all the camps. We're currently in about 10 markets. 
And the United States, I, I would assume most of your listeners are probably listening from abroad. We do get a number of calls from Australians and Canadians, interestingly enough. The U.S. is divided into approximately 400 metropolitan statistical areas, or MSAs. Of those, and so when people say, you know, or they talk about the, the national housing market, the housing market as a whole, you know, I have to kind of grit my teeth and, and cringe and laugh at the same time because there is no such thing as a national housing market. You know, every real estate is local. In fact, every real estate market is hyper-local, and you can actually measure changes in a market down to the neighborhood level. So we've picked about 10 metropolitan areas that we really like because they make sense for investors, the economically, fundamentally, and from a cash flow perspective. I break those markets up into two general categories. We have linear markets and we have cyclical markets. And I'm not sure if you're familiar with the term or, or the concept, but for your listeners, a cyclical market is what you'll typically find in coastal United States. There are markets that go up and down more like a roller coaster. They're more prone to pr fast price appreciation and depreciation. They're, um, for some people, you know, it causes them to pull their hair out of their head. But it's, it's created a lot of accidental millionaires, people who have quote-unquote invested, bought property speculatively – um, and, and seen just rapid uh, appreciation. Then you have markets within the continent, like within the country, predominantly in the Midwest, down through towards Texas and, and then over to the East Coast, which are what we generally refer to as linear markets. And these are markets that over time, they appreciate, uh, you know, somewhere between 4 and 7% per year. They, tie, they pretty much average out to be similar to headline inflation. And they're not they're more they're they're more boring markets than anything else. But you know, you don't buy there because of the appreciation. You buy there because the numbers make sense and the cash flow makes sense and you can sleep well at night knowing that that market is not gonna crash on you. And when people say crash, it's really a deflating bubble. It's a deflationary environment that unfolds over, you know, three, six, twelve month period um, initially and then goes on for a number of years. You don't see that often with the Midwest and, and the southern states. So we've picked our markets to be predominantly linear markets. We try and stay away from the cyclical markets. In the past, we've been in places like Las Vegas and Phoenix, which are more cyclical than anything, but they really are hybrid markets. Dallas, Houston, and San Antonio are three of the markets we're in right now. They are or at least I should say historically have been linear markets, but they have seen um, some pretty good price appreciation over the last two, three years. Aside from those three markets, the other markets that we've chosen to be in because of, of many factors are Kansas City and Indianapolis in the Midwest, uh, Birmingham, Alabama, towards the, the south near, um, near the state of Texas. Memphis, Tennessee seems to be a perennial market because it's just – it just seems like everybody there is a tenant. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, Memphis is just a perennial market. Right. Jacksonville, Florida is more of a hybrid market. You can get some really good cash flow and rates of return, but it's also a market that's poised for some good appreciation for the next two or three years. And I'm sure I've missed one or two markets in that mix. Anyway, that's that's a pretty good cross-section and, and an explanation as to why I picked those markets. Right. And I think that you broke it down very well for all those listeners out there, cyclical and linear markets. Uh, it's interesting. I wanted to delve a little bit more into 
the transition because, as you're saying, um, some markets in Texas like Dallas and San Antonio have gone from a traditionally linear market to maybe more cyclical as uh, things change. Now, what do you look for in any of those markets in terms of employment opportunities, in terms of cap rates, in terms of vacancy rates? Are you identifying is that why you're identifying those markets or is it a result that that's why those markets are linear, not necessarily cyclical, if that makes sense? Yes, it does make sense. There's, uh, I think you have two questions in there. So I'll break it down. If people don't have income, they can't pay their rent. That's, that's the bottom line. So when you look at a market, the first thing that I like to look for is a market that has jobs, job growth and the probability of increased job growth. So when you see industries growing in a particular market, like healthcare is a big one right now in the United States. You know, there's, it's a massive employer. Uh, there's, a lot of, uh, there's a lot of activity. There's, um, there's government subsidies. You know, there's just a lot of activity, especially as of late with Obamacare, you know, the Affordable Care Act, which is not, nothing to do with affordable. But, um, you know, I look for jobs and job growth. That's a key thing. So when, you have, when you've identified that in a market, the next thing I like to look for are migration trends. Uh, you can't always get that information for every market, but it's good to know that people are moving into a particular market as opposed to moving out. So if you have a positive net migration, that's a big factor. And the reason for that is, is because people need a place to live. They need a roof over their head. Uh, so that means it's going to drive up the demand for housing and drive up the demand for rentals. It's going to drive up the demand for any kind of uh, product within you know the the real estate space. So jobs, job growth is 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 number one. That's huge. In fact, that's at the core of it all. Uh, migration, positive migration is a bonus. An affordable market is important too. If you look at coastal markets, particularly within California, which you're familiar with, you know it, it it's it. To get into a single-family detached home, a three- or four-bedroom home, you're lucky if you can find something for three or four hundred thousand. But often you're looking at six hundred thousand to maybe a million dollars. You know, it just depends on where, but it's not an affordable market, whether to purchase or rent. And then another metric that I use—it's kind of more of a litmus test—but I look at what I refer to as the RV ratio or rent-to-value ratio, and what that simply is is if you take a property's monthly rent and divide it into the purchase price or the acquisition price, that is your RV ratio. So a simple example would be a $100,000 property that rents for $1,000 a month. That's a 1% RV ratio. That is what I refer to, loosely speaking, as a balanced market. I, I look for those 1% RV ratios. You can find them in many parts of the U.S., but not in every part of the U.S. If that number is, is lower than 0.8, it's a it, that market's too expensive. The numbers are not going to make enough sense for you to get the best bang for your buck and have the highest cash-on-cash cash return. You're better off looking in other markets. The higher that number, the better. But you know, you got to start scratching your head if that number gets over 1.5% because you might actually be in either a a depressed market, you know, a, a like a market in the northeast of the U.S. What we call the Rust Belt. That area is. Um, you know, has been hit pretty hard in the last decade in terms of jobs and job loss. So property values have come down dramatically. Uh, the other reason you'll see a very high RV ratio is in your if you're in a bad neighborhood. And when I say a bad neighborhood, I'm talking like D a D type neighborhood or a C C minus, where you're just dealing with forty, fifty thousand dollar properties. Of course, you're going to have a very high RV ratio. But you know, if 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 I can just kind of take all that, take your question like one step further. 
I will say this. I don't look for markets that are what I'll refer to as one-trick ponies, meaning that they're heavily oil-based or heavily based on one particular industry because as we're seeing in Calgary, Canada, for example, and Houston, Texas – not so much in Houston, but but in North Carolina, where you know there was an oil boom for a number of years, and now that the price of oil is down to thirty thirty five bucks, you know you're, you're seeing issues with employment. There's a lot of layoffs, a lot of pink slips going out, and that's affecting the real estate market. So. Yeah, this is you just covered some great information there. You actually answered a lot of my questions, but I wanted to hit on a few of them. What I loved what you said was the RV, the rent to value ratio, but also the employment sectors. You you briefly mentioned the oil sector. I what how many how many major employers do you like to look for in a market? You know, obviously as you said, if it's just a one trick pony, then you're putting yourself at a high risk if that particular industry goes bust. And I'm going to ask you a double-pronged question here because you talked also about growth in terms of population. So what is the minimum growth that you like to see or population in an area that before you invest? And the second question is, how many employers do you like to see or employment sectors do you like to see in a market? Okay, so both good questions. When it comes to industry, what you're typically going to find in a lot of markets is that Manufacturing and healthcare often make up the uh, the two biggest industries or sectors within a particular market. But you know, you you will find that construction is usually up there in the top five. Retail, um, if there's a lot of tourism, you'll find accommodations. Uh, then public service, you know, public sector will be you know a good part of that. Fortunately, in the markets that we're in, you know, what you referred to before we got on this call as a as a, a tier two market which means you know it's not a major market like New York or LA you're going to find a pretty good mix a well a good diversification if you go into Willington I think that's how you pronounce it Willington or Willing yeah Willington North Dakota it's not a market that I'm active in so you know I I just know it from following the news but that market is going to be very very heavy on let's just call it mining because it's effectively you know oil and gas I avoid markets that have too much of one thing, but if it's got a good mix of manufacturing and healthcare, uh, construction, retail, transportation, public service, that's that's a good thing. I, I like to see that. Uh, now, you, the other part of your question was regarding uh, migration, population. You know, I have talked to a few investors out there when they look start to identify markets. You know, one of the biggest hurdles is, is understanding the population and. I've, I know a few investors cap it at a certain rate. Like I will not invest in a market if it's less than X population or or Y population. So what do you like to see as a population in a, in a particular market? Good question. So the uh, the metro area as a whole, often you're going to find is going to be over a million people because uh, when you when you look at a, a metropolitan st- statistical area or just simply an MSA, that that broad area is often going to be you know, one to seven million people. Uh, an area like Kansas City, Missouri, when you look at Kansas City and then the surrounding areas like Independence, Grandview, Oak Grove, and Lee Summit, you know, you're, you're well over a million people. It's probably closer to two million people. Atlanta, people refer to Atlanta. I, I don't think I would purchase anything necessarily within the city of Atlanta, but Atlanta is a massive metropolitan area made up of uh, you know, 100 plus sub markets and these are just little towns and cities that are all peppered one next to each other and you're looking at about 7 to 8 million people within that metropolitan area so you really have to be 
you, you really have to start asking yourself the question, where exactly do I, want to, do I want to invest? You know, you have to start picking specific locations and specific markets and then sub-markets and then neighborhoods. You know, we refer to it as the top-down approach. It's actually one of my, you know, one of my 10 rules for successful real estate investing. And what I mean by taking a top-down approach, if you can imagine a funnel, you start at the top, you decide on a metropolitan area that has the conditions we were talking about before. And then once you've decided on that, now you need to start looking under the hood and determining within that market, where does it make the most sense? Where are there, where's their growth? Where are there new amenities? Where's there possibly new construction? Where are the jobs? Is there a downtown core or is it spread out into different pockets? Um, do I want to be in an A type neighborhood or a B type neighborhood or, or maybe even a C type neighborhood, which we don't typically deal with? And then you can start looking at specific property and neighborhood combinations from that point. I think investors, and, and I hate to say this, but a, a lot of foreign national investors that we talk to do this. They make this mistake. They see an ad or they, they Google you know, whatever they're looking for and they go to a website like Zillow or, or maybe you know, some other provider websites and they see a property and it looks good. It's got nice curb appeal. They look at the numbers and the numbers seem attractive on paper. Um, you know, every, they start to fall in love with this, this investment opportunity, but then they realize, or maybe they don't realize that it's in a bad neighborhood or in a war zone. And I've seen people, and unfortunately a lot of foreign national investors are sucked into markets like Detroit. And I'm not beating up on Detroit here because I have personal experience with Detroit. Um, but you know, it's, it's really not the best choice fundamentally economically you know it's still a struggling city it filed bankruptcy there's a high percentage of unemployment there's problems with the public system where you know if there's a fire or or you have an issue that you need to call the police in some areas of the city they may take 30 minutes or more to arrive if they arrive at all so you really 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 need to consider not just the property but the neighborhood around it followed by maybe the region of the city or the metro you're in, and then the greater market, like the Detroit market or the Kansas City market or whatever. You can't overlook that. That's incredible. Yeah, that's great. I love everything that you said there because that funnel down approach is really, really important. And I think listeners need to take that uh, that away as a takeaway, some advice to identify the, from a large macro point of view the, the different areas that you'd like to invest in based on GDP growth, based on population, based on employment, and then you can start narrowing it down into your certain neighborhoods depending on your criteria. Now, Marco, when, you know, a lot of international investors come to me and say, Reid, you know, how do I go about analyzing a market um, when I can't get to be boots on the ground? And so I know from personal experience that I, I, I like to analyze, if I've never been to a market and I've never been to boots on the ground, um, and someone says, oh, you should check out X. You know, for example, Kansas City is a prime market that I've never personally been to, but I've analyzed that market quite intensively. And what I did was I, I went out and I, I said, okay, I'm going to analyze 50 deals in that market and or in the sub-market of independence. And that was able to give me a better idea. I've never been to independence, but I could understand from a metrics point of view that if I'm look if, if an investment opportunity came across my desk, you know, I can be like, oh, well, I can instantly know, well, that's too expensive or the price per square foot is too much. So do you, do you give any advice out like that in terms of how to then, you picked your market, you picked your sub-market, then you want to go and get into the, the, the weeds a little bit of analyzing deals. So how many deals 
or is there any advice you can give to someone out there who's looking at a market who can't get there and be boots on the ground to understand the market better from street to street? Yeah, I can give some tips on that. First of all, you know, the internet is a powerful tool and there is just so much information and unfortunately misinformation out there when it comes to, you know, information on particular markets that you have to be careful but collect enough information where you can kind of cross check and compare what you're getting from one source to another to see that it makes sense. Uh, there are some real estate forums out there, and I'm not going to mention any names, but you know, one in particular that I'm thinking of is just chock full of opinions for and against anything you could possibly think of. So, you know, there are people who are going to talk good about a particular, you know, company, person, market, etc., and then you'll have another hundred people behind them that'll have nothing but you know opinions or or negative things to say. So you have to be careful when you're collecting this information. But you know, if you do, you can start your research by looking up markets and typing, you know, for example, Kansas City economic growth, Kansas City population growth, Kansas City net migration, Kansas City uh, rental properties, rental market. You know, you, when you start doing that, you'll 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 be surprised how much information you start to dig up. And then at a high level, you know, one of the first things, you know, I like to do, and I ask this question, whether someone's talking to me about a property or, or numbers within a neighborhood or a market as a whole, I will like to, I'll look at the purchase price of a property or the median price of the properties within an area or within a market and compare that to the median rental rate. And again, what I'm doing is I'm just quickly doing an RV ratio and if it tells me that it's around 1% or maybe a little higher, okay, that's my first litmus test. Now I'm going to go to the next step. Because if that number is out of whack, like if I was to do that for any of the coastal cities along the, you know, the, the state of California, I would probably find an RV ratio of 0.3, 0.4, maybe 0.5. And right away I know that it's, the numbers are not going to make sense for me. The returns are not there. And besides, when you start telling me that you know homes are three, four, five hundred thousand dollars or more, I already know it's too expensive. Another thing is, I like to look for markets where properties are between fifty thousand to one hundred fifty thousand. And you know, for your Australian listeners listening to this, thinking, "Oh, geez, fifty thousand dollars U.S.—that's like a credit card purchase." <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, I know it sounds crazy, and and I'm not necessarily I'm I'm not necessarily recommending a fifty thousand dollar property for the majority of people. Uh, you know, we do have a lot of clients that want that product type, you know, a fifty, sixty thousand dollar property. It works well for them. But, you know, that's the range. I know that if the property's in that range of fifty to one hundred and fifty thousand and it rents for one percent, that that also tells me that that area or that market is is gonna make sense. I don't look at cap rates all that you know, that heavily. Generally speaking, if I'm looking at cap rates, I'm often going to find that they're going to be around 8% or more, sometimes maybe you know 7%. But if the RV ratios are in line, you're going to find that your cap rates are going to be 8% or more. That's great advice for anyone out there listening because I think that you're correct in saying that there's a lot of information out there on the internet and understanding what you need to be taking out. Uh, certain parts of population growth, of employment growth, of a different market is very key to then helping you go back to what you're talking about, about the funneling and then to going into your RV ratio. That's um, it's very, very interesting. Do you, do you look at any of like the path of progress, so to speak, of, you know, I know Kansas City, for example, is having a path of progress in towards independence um, from the, down, I know downtown Kansas City has been going booming right now, but do you look at that sort of stuff at all? And, and does that uh, affect your decision when you're choosing a market? 
I don't specifically look for it. I mean, I watch out for it. If it's there, that's great. It's a bonus. But I don't look for it as far as being part of my criteria that, that you know, it has to be there. Often what you're going to find is if you're investing in an area that's, that is in the path of progress, uh, whether you're in the middle of it or on the leading edge of it, more often than not, you'll probably find that you're going to have a better bump in appreciation over the next, you know, one to three to five years as as that, you know, that neighborhood or that area is built out. So that's usually a good thing. Um, I don't make it, you know, a key criteria. I don't look for it specifically. For me, cash flow is king. I, I, I always look for the rates of return in stable neighborhoods so I have a stable property with great property management so I know that they're proper properly managing my assets. And if I, you know, if I have that's the magic formula. If you if you want a good investment, just make sure you have a good property with good cash flow in a good neighborhood, in a good market with excellent property management because then you're going to have a well-qualified and screen tenant and have a stable investment. Over the long term, that's what's going to generate more and more cash flow for you and over time build up equity that that's really the key to to it all right there yeah i i think that's you've hit the nail on the head there and i'm a huge proponent on this show of building a credible team around you and you know real estate isn't a solo solo sport it you need a t- you need team members to success to be successful and one of those team members is, is is having a good property manager they're just and you know regardless if you're investing uh in a different suburb in the same city or you're investing halfway across the world, having a good team around you is vital and having a good property manager is really, really key. I think you've covered some incredible points on the show today, Marco, your wealth of knowledge. I wanted to talk a little bit more about just your ebook that you have online, The Ultimate Guide to Passive Real Estate, how that came about and really what is, what do you, what's your message in that book to try and get across to the people who, who, who read it? Sure. Well, that at the moment is is uh, an ebook. It's I believe forty pages plus or minus. But what I tried to do is is create a concise brain dump. I wanted to put a lot of important key factors and criteria and numbers and suggestions and recommendations into a concise document, and that's essentially what it is. So. People who are interested in investing in real estate more passively than actively, uh, this is an ideal ebook. You know, it's a free download. You know, I, 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 it's been downloaded thousands of times, but it's also the footprint to become you know a full scale book. You know, 150, 200 page book. So this is kind of the uh, the uh, the foundation, if you will, for a larger book. But um, but yeah, I just wanted to provide a document that addresses some of the frequently asked questions that we get asked. And also, even if someone doesn't work with our company, we never hear from them, but they read this ebook, they'll have a really good idea of what they should be doing and looking for and how to differentiate between a good and a bad investment. Right. And I think that's key <laughs> because you make money when you buy, not when you sell. So if you're not buying a good deal, uh, you can't identify a good deal, then you know you've lost the battle. <laughs> so I think yes. that's really important for all all uh, my listeners out there. You know, jump on Marco's website and check out that ebook. Um, I know I'm going to download download myself a copy of it. But uh, just back to Marco's point, it's very very important to identify a cracking deal. Sorry, you're about to say something, Marco. Um, well, I was thinking of something. You read my mind. I uh, I was going to comment on your comment. You know, some people, a lot of people, and a lot of gurus in this industry will say, you know, you make your money 
on on the buy and and that's true that's true in in more than one aspect or one way and and here's what i mean most people take that to mean that when you acquire a piece of real estate that you should be buying it with equity in place and that's you know that's how you quote unquote make money on the buy that's great if you can do that but that's not the only way to buy right meaning make money on the way in Unfortunately, today, most of the U.S. markets are in what we call a seller's market. So there's a lot of demand. There's a lot of activity. Sales are somewhat brisk. Most sellers, if not all sellers that price their property well, will sell those properties. You know, we we have no problem moving property right now. And most, not all, but most of them are priced at fair market value. Um, there's a number of them that are a little bit below. It could be, you know, as much as 5% or more below fair market value. But you know, it's it's not just about the equity going in. You know, what makes an investment a good investment on the buy is knowing what I just said, you know, a couple minutes ago, having, you know, a, a quality property with no deferred maintenance in a stable neighborhood in a stable market with a good tenant and great property management. If you have that, you're going to have cash flow from day one. Like the next month after you purchase, you're going to have a check in the mail or a deposit in your account, whatever the case is. And, and so, you don't necessarily need to have equity on the buy. Sometimes that's hard to find. The The only way to guarantee that, well, I shouldn't even say guarantee. The only way to get that is to become an active real estate investor, not a passive real estate investor, where you're rolling up your sleeves, you're assembling the team, you're looking for those distressed properties or distressed sellers, and you're renovating that property, advertising and marketing and and, and, and maybe managing it or maybe not. But you know, you're, you're far more active in that approach where maybe, hopefully, if nothing goes wrong, you're going to have equity on the front end. But if you don't have it, guess what? You can still generate a portfolio that creates good passive income. You could build that up to the point where you're financially free and still build equity over time through the amortization of your loan and the appreciation in the property. So, so you know, there's two ways to buy right. It's not just equity. I completely agree with that, and that's and for and you touched a little bit on a couple of the aspects of how you make, and we could have a whole and we could we will have a whole podcast on how you make money in real estate, but you talked about forcing and forcing the appreciation, which is you buying a distressed home or you're rolling up your sleeves and you're buying it way under market value, putting some some equity sweat equity into the property, and then you'd be still getting some great cash flow at the end, and you've you've you've, you've coupled the two some of the ways that you can make money in real estate but if uh, that's an act that's being an active investor as you said you're rolling up your sleeves you're developing your team and you're looking for those uh diamonds in the rough so to speak and but if you're a passive investor as you said if you've got your good team on the ground you're buying right you're buying in a good neighborhood um there's still and uh, there might not be as much equity in the property but you still have good cash flow and you can still build a very very good portfolio of cash flowing properties to help you create long-term wealth and financial freedom i think do, have i summarized that correctly Yep, it's great. Great stuff, mate. Well, mate, you know this show is all about uh, helping other international investors, you know, like myself, start successfully in the ve- investing in the U.S. So are you currently working with anyone, any, any guys from uh, foreign countries? I know you said you had some guys from Australia and Canada reach out to you. Yeah, 5% of our business is foreign nationals. People, I'd say the countries at the top of the list are Canada, Australia, the U.K., and then we've got a peppering of people from Singapore, Hong Kong, Japan. Yeah, you know, I don't know why it's those specific countries, but but yeah, we do have we work with foreign investors all the time. 
And here's an interesting thing, Reed. Um, I, I don't know if you've talked about this in prior episodes. Maybe you should do a show on it. But financing for foreign nationals, a lot of foreign nationals think that financing is not available. And the truth is, is we work with three lenders that are on board with us to finance the properties that we sell to foreign nationals. And believe it or not, they will go up to 70 to 75% of the purchase price on uh, on that acquisition. I have spoken two different episodes about the different options you can get. I had a gentleman on the show, I think it was episode number eight, Matthew Owen, and his company was helping. He saw the need to provide that financial slice of the pie because foreign investors do come to the United States thinking they've got to buy the property or cash, but that's incredible. What type of the lenders are you working with? Could you just name a few off the top? We have a partnership with a company called Lima One, and there's another company called Dwell, and I'm trying to remember the third. You can email me and uh, I'll put it in the show notes below because I know a lot of people do ask me that particular question when they're buying yeah. Um, single family properties. So if anyone is out there thinking about buying something here in the United States and they want to learn a little bit more about the financing options, definitely hit up Marco at the end of the show to find out a little bit more. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah, they're portfolio lenders, so they you know they obviously have a criteria. They're not really qualifying the borrower per se. Um, you know, there's there's a few things that the foreign national investor has to provide. But aside from that, they're really looking more at the property, the market, the uh, the cash flow or the debt service ratio on the property. And then, of course, you know, you'll order an appraisal. They'll go off of that. Uh, but it's doable. I mean, if you look back four or five years ago, it wasn't available. I mean, you know, you, there was no way you could have gotten financing. But today it's becoming more and more available. Right. And is that – are you talking about portfolio lending, not necessarily on – not necessarily just on one particular single family property. These are portfolio lenders where they have their own pool of funds. So they're they're really deploying their own capital to finance a mortgage for you. Uh, it's not the big banks like Bank of America or Wells Fargo, you know, they're uh they're they're specialized lenders that address a particular niche, real estate investors and sometimes even a further niche, they're real estate investors that are also foreign nationals. Right, right. And do they want to lend on a portfolio if the foreign national is buying a portfolio or will they lend on just a single family property? Both. Great, great stuff. Well, I will get that information off you at the end sure. of the show and we'll, I'll put it in the show notes and, and uh, the listeners can go there and check it out and hopefully get some great financing for their properties here in the United States. Sure. So Marco, with all your experience buying US real estate and identifying cracking markets across the US, I know you have a prime to give me your top five investing tips. You ready to get into it? Sure. Mate, what's the most successful habit you practice to keep on track towards your goals? Probably doing first things first. Um, and that's easier said than done because it's so easy to do the, the uh, smallest thing or the quickest thing. Um, but, you know, just putting first things first. And there's actually a good book out there, which I'm sure many of your listeners have heard of, but it's called The One Thing. And it's written by actually one of the most successful real estate people in the U.S., Gary Keller. Uh, who started uh, Keller Williams. But, you know, it's a wonderful read. It's a short book. But doing the first thing first is really, you know, the key to making making it happen. I'll put that book in the show notes as well. I haven't read it, but I should read it. I'm definitely guilty of doing uh, picking the, the lowest hanging fruit, if that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Thinking oh, yeah. that I'm being uh, productive, maybe not so much, but anyway. Uh, Marco, I know you used a lot of different tools in your business. What's the most uh, influential tool in your real estate business and why? 
Um, I don't know what you mean by influential. Like influential for us internally, or yeah, like it could be your computer, it could be your iPhone, it could be uh, a CRM software that you're using. It could be a particular. Like I've had people tell me Skype's a really influential tool because they can connect with the you know the wide wide world. So that sort of tool that I mean. Well, there's many tools. Uh, the most influential is probably hard to nail down, but I would, I would have to say. Uh, Excel, you know, an Excel spreadsheet is a wonderful tool. It's simple to use. It's, it's, you know, I can't think of any real estate investor or anybody who's analytical um, not using a tool like Excel. You could track virtually everything in there. And if nothing else, you know, it, it helps just keep things organized, if not in your head, at least on paper, because you could put all your properties and you could, you know, create your columns for your income and expenses and, and just do it, you know, manage your properties, manage your thoughts, manage yourself, manage your whatever. Um, yeah, Excel is a pretty powerful tool. Yeah, I think if you're any real estate investor out there, regardless of your passive or, act- or active, you need to know uh, Excel. That's just a given. And I think in 2016, most people do know how to use Excel. Marco, what's the most exciting project you're working on right now? Um, well, the most exciting project, and, and I don't want this to come off as, as um, you know a, a sales pitch or anything, but it's something we just simply call our private lending program. And, and here's, here's how it came to be. We had investors at times coming to us saying, hey, I'm not ready to buy real estate, but I've got 50000 100000 or whatever amount that was sitting you know, in a savings account or in a retirement account or whatever. You know, is there anything you could do to put it to work? And really what they were asking us is, you know, can, do you have notes? Are you selling notes or do you have notes that we can invest in? So, you know, after getting that question enough times, I created this program and it's unfortunately, it's very generous. I say unfortunately for us because it's great for the investor, but we're at this time paying a 15% simple interest annualized, you know, 15% interest on the funds used. And all we're doing is taking those funds, we're deploying them on our acquisitions and renovations. So we're effectively just using them as our lender to acquire, renovate and sell these investment grade properties that we sell. And they're secured by a first lien position. So they have a deed of trust and a promissory note. So they're protected as the only lien holder on the property. And then they get paid uh, 15% on the funds used, paid daily. Paid daily, right. That's incredible. Well, let me, let me qualify. They don't get a check every day. The, the, the interest accrues every day um, you know, on a daily basis. But they get a check from the title company as soon as we sell that property. And so you know, they're very happy when they get paid because they're realizing, wow, I'm making more on this than I'm making in the stock market or mutual funds or whatever. 401k. <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, and, and typically, how long are those? Are they short-term loans that you, you use these people's money for? That that's the other nice thing about it is it's very short term. the uh, The typical cycle, if you will, is is about three to three and a half months. So we will acquire, renovate, and sell a property in about three to three and a half months. And so their funds go from their escrow account to you know into the deployment on that property, and then back into their escrow account in a three to three and a half month period. Fantastic. That's a, that's a great little program. I will um, make sure to mention that in the show notes below as well. Marco, who's the most influential person in your career? Probably Robert Kiyosaki. Um, <laughs> you know, I know a lot of people throw out, you know, his name or, or Rich Dad, Poor Dad. And, yes. You know, there's no surprise there. Um, I don't really... I, there's probably been a lot of influential people, but Robert Kiyosaki has been very powerful because he's an educator. He he has a lot of information out there, a wealth of information. It's easily digestible. Um, and, you know, when you 
read his very first book, Rich Dad Poor Dad, it really gets you hooked. I mean, it's it's more of a story than anything else, but there are so many good principles in there that just change your perspective. It, it, it's almost like a paradigm shift in your head. And if that doesn't get you hooked, then you were not meant to be investing. <laughs> <laughs> I think that I, Robert Kiyosaki and Rich Dad Poor Dad was the aha moment or the paradigm shift as you uh, so eloquently put it because it just changes the way you think about things and that's really really important to setting you on your path towards financial freedom so absolutely i think you and i are very similar in that uh, most influential person uh last question mate where can people reach you to continue the conversation well there's two websites and um our our property website is noradarealestate.com and that's n-o-r-a-d-a noradarealestate.com um, and then, as you mentioned at the beginning of your show, um, I have a podcast called Passive Real Estate Investing, and you can find that on iTunes or Stitcher. But it also has a, a companion website called PassiveRealEstateInvesting.com. So that's probably the best place. Fantastic. And I'll summarize all those in the show notes, as always, guys. So uh, make sure to check it out there. Well, Marco, you another cracking guest. You provided all the listeners with just you know some absolutely cracking information about how to properly analyze a market here in the United States. We talked about your RV ratio, which I think is great. I think that's a great little tool and litmus test. We talked about the funnel process of analyzing the macros of a, of a, of a market, population, employment, uh, population growth. And then we narrowed it down into understanding your different sub-markets. I, truly, truly incredible stuff. Thanks for uh, dropping by and chatting with us. Have a great rest of your week and uh, we'll catch up soon. Thanks very much, Reed. Appreciate it. Well, there you have it. More incredible, straightforward inside information into understanding the steps to evaluating a market here in the United States and what key factors you need to be considering. Now, guys, I know you probably have a ton of questions, so you need to jump on your email and shoot Marco an email asking him all those questions. He'll only be too willing to help you out in understanding how to identify a cracking market here in the United States. I also love what he talked about, the cyclical and linear markets. That's really, really important to understand when looking uh, for good cash flow here in the United States. Now, remember, a summary of my conversation with Marco will go up on my website, as always, at rsmpropertygroup.com. Remember to click on the podcast tab. Whilst you're there, check out some of the deals that I'm working on right now. And if you're wanting to become an investor with RSN or become a member at RSN Property Group, you can by just signing up for our newsletter. You can drop me an email to find out a little bit more. I just want to thank everyone for taking some time out of their day to tune in and continue to grow your real estate investing knowledge. Is that what we're all about here on this show, continuing to grow your financial IQ. If you are enjoying this show and you want to give back, then jump on iTunes and give the show a five-star review. It's really quite quick and easy and simple, and it helps us grow our community of listeners eager to invest in the United States. Well, you know we're going to do this all again next week, so take care, be safe, and remember, happy investing.